Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Welcome back to Real Estate Coaching Radio, guys. We have a fun show for you today. We are going to help a lot of you. We've been getting a lot of questions, okay? Um, questions mostly about the real estate treasure map, questions about how to create your financial business plan for 2020 and really the rest of your lives. Uh, a lot of you have never done an in-depth business plan like the one we give you and when you text the word Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S, to 31996, and so some of the math confuses you. Um, and we're not going to get into the deep into the weeds necessarily about how to complete the real estate treasure map. But we're, what we're going to do is we're going to walk you guys through some of the psychological hurdles that Julie and I are sensing a lot of you are experiencing as you're going through this process. And what, so what we're going to be talking about is the sacred of sacreds, the holiest of holy, <laughs> the thing that most people fear talking about more than anything, especially with their loved ones. We're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about essentially the purpose of money. That seems like kind of a silly topic, but we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about essentially how to know essentially whether you're quote-unquote being frivolous, whether you're being frugal, whether you're overspending, all these sort of psychological things that are associated with money. And if you're like Julie and I, and I know most of you are, um, there's probably one of you that's not going to fit into this <laughs> description. If you're like Julie and I, who have essentially created our own wealth over our lifetimes, or maybe you're in the, in the process of creating your own wealth, You've got some financial, let's call them mooring lines. You have some things that are going to be holding you to the dock that you need to be consciously aware of or, they're ne- or you're never going to really achieve in life what you otherwise would have. So your homework from today's call, I'll just give this one to you, or from today's podcast, I'll give this to you now. I always say call because my mind is always in coaching mode. <laughs> but the, uh, your homework is going to be, of course, is to text the word Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S, to 31996. You're going to be sent, texted back, an immediate a link to download the real estate treasure map. And the real estate treasure map is your fill-in-the-blank business plan. Now, I want to, I guess, warn you, a friendly warning. This is not just some one-page Mickey Mouse, you know, write down your goals type of thing. I talked about this the other day, and I had a lot of you that actually sent me messages saying you appreciated me drilling down this particular point, so I'm going to do it now uh, more condensed. The reason that most of you don't accomplish goals is because you don't have action plans to follow up with your goals. That's really the bottom line. So it's one thing to write down that you want to accomplish a specific goal. It's another thing to make your plan. Now, here's the next place where a lot of people get stuck. Okay, intellectually, you understand what I just said being true. You know that you have to write down your goal. You know you have to write down specifically what an action plan is, but you don't know how the hell to make an action plan. And that's the other thing we're going to be covering today is how to actually drill down in your own mind. The ability to drill down and to think on a very step-by-step basis is not something that's innate in anybody, but just it isn't. Most people, when you hear them talk, when you ask them for descriptions, they can only describe things to a almost on just a surface level because they have not trained their brains to actually drill down and think on a microscopic step-by-step basis. 
And the only reason that Julie and I are so good at it is because we've coached all of you for so long. That's what a great coach does. A great coach will get into your – listen to what you're saying, listen to your tonality, listen to what you're not saying, listen to, you know, getting to know you a little bit, but really drilling down and finding out really the microscopic little ways that it's getting by you. When I was talking about this the other day, I was using Michael Phelps as an example. You know, Michael Phelps shows up at the pool every morning at 4.30. Michael Phelps has a coach, same coach he's had forever. And the coach, you know, doesn't obviously is not teaching Michael new things every day. The whole point of having a coach when you're operating at a high level isn't just to say, okay, well, I guess, you know, what's the new thing we're going to learn today? It's drilling down on the tiny little things that you might be doing that would make a significant difference, um, you know, obviously if you were to fix it over time. And like when, you're, when we're coaching somebody and you role play, let's just say a simple script, or you role play a listing presentation, or you walk through just some basic things that you take for granted that you just figure, dude, I do not want to, this is the, you know, typical, you know, ego response from an agent. I'm not going to, I don't want to talk with you about price reduction scripts. I'm really good at price reductions. Even though you've got 20 listings and none of them selling, obviously you need to do some price reductions. And then you start doing a little, okay, I'm the seller. uh, You're the, you know, you, and I want you to basically call me up and I want you to hit me with your best price reduction scripts. And then you're going to hear that sometimes you hear some really good stuff, but what you mostly hear are the things that the agent don't realize that they're saying or how it's being perceived by the seller. That's what coaching is. So when you're wondering what a coaching experience is, yes, there's a lot of training. Training and coaching are different things. Coaching is actually where you're t- hiring somebody, and that's a tricky part too. You've got to make sure you're hiring somebody that's actually competent to coach you. 99% of the, agent, or the coaches that are in our industry aren't really coaches. They're trainers. They're motivational speakers. They're not gonna, they, didn't, they haven't taken the time to have mastery of essentially knowing how to coach people to go to the highest level. What they're good at is selling products. Uh, criticizing, maybe I am, maybe I'm not. I'm just stating a fact. Uh, we created this website a while ago. You guys should be using it. Um, it's comparacoach.com, C-O-M-P-A-R-E-A-C-O-A-C-H.com, comparacoach.com. If you're looking to hire a coach, even if you're you know, looking to hire us, go to that website and go through all the, these are questions that you should be asking before you hire anybody to be your coach. And the questions are all the questions that really, as you go through them, you're going to think, well, that one's common sense. Like, have you sold real estate before is the first question. Why did we put that one as the first question? You will be shocked when you ask that question of people that are pretending to be real estate coaches, how many have never coached before. But I digress. So when you're working on your real estate treasure map, what I want you to do is I want you to realize that it's really in, uh, the whole point of it is to help you drill down and focus on creating the micro steps to accomplishing your goal. And again, I see that a lot of you, when going through this process, you get kind of stuck on that. And, and so here's the real quick way to go about it. And I'm going to give you an example of like, you know, essentially disciplining yourself to go to the gym every day. Here's, here's a simple way to go about through the process. All right. A, you're, I'll use Orange Theory as an example, right? Yes, you guys know we're advocates of that, even though we don't go anymore because there's none in Puerto Rico. But let's say you want to join Orange Theory. You want to lose some weight. You want to get in shape. You realize essentially time's getting by you, and you know, you're not getting any younger. So, okay, you made that commitment, as most people do this time of year, to lose weight and get in shape. But very few of them stick around for 90 days to actually complete the goal because they didn't realize they didn't actually complete the micro steps. It's not just going to the gym. It's not just showing up. It's all the other stuff that comes behind it, like the scheduling of it. So, for example, do the things you like the least every day in the morning. That's definitely key. Do the things you like the least, and there's physiological reasons why. 
your hormones are more imbalanced and all these other types of things are working in your direction. But the biggest reason why is because if you don't like doing something and you put it off till the end of the day, you're going to procrastinate that thing until the cows come home. And you know you will. You know you have. Some of you have done that for decades, haven't you? Well, you can right the wrong. Start by going in, just using an example. I know some of you get annoyed with us talking about Orange Theory, but it's a great example. Start by going to Orange Theory as early in the day as you possibly can. Oh, I have so busy, I'm scheduling. Oh, da, da, da. Well, then if you have to do it in the evening, do it in the evening. But you've got to create a system behind forcing yourself to go. And it starts out by joining. It starts out by making a commitment. Then the next step is going to be is you have to prepay for as many months in advance as you can because there's, there's some pain associated with not actually showing up. Next step is going to be make sure you carve out a scheduled, you know, whatever your, you know, we use Google calendars and time block that. Time block it for the next year. That it's sacred time that no one can bother you. And then you got to, you know, make sure you adjust your schedule accordingly with whatever, you know, interference you might have from work stuff or familial obligations. Adjust accordingly. And then always have with you, if it's first thing in the morning, make it so that when you wake up, sitting right at the foot of your bed are your gym shoes and your your clothes everything is sitting there ready to go so see what i'm doing guys i'm drilling it down to the point where you have these micro steps like if you for example when i'm coaching somebody and i have a great top producing agent who's consistent at taking listings they go on 10 appointments they take 10 listings but all of a sudden i see they stop taking listings and then i said then as a coach i then have to drill down and find out why what happened they'll always make bullshit excuses always well, the seller had a relationship with the other realtor. Oh, the other realtor bought the listing by telling him a higher price. The other realtor told him they'd do a whole bunch of marketing stuff. The other realtor, always, always bullshit, bullshit. That's what agents do because they don't want to actually admit that they failed. If you didn't take a listing, you failed. That's it. So you've got to figure out why. And that's what a great coach is going to do. So we'll start asking questions. What changed? You were a home run hitter before, and now you are you know, essentially dropping in the ranks. And so we'll discover, okay, well, what did they change? Walk me through the last appointment you went on that you didn't take. And you'll go and you'll ask questions. How did you get the lead? Well, it was a referral. Okay, how long did it take for you to call that referral, that uh, listing lead back? You know, you normally you're, you know, you've been trained by Julie and I and our coaching organization to call people back immediately. How long did you take? Well, I was busy. I didn't call them back the next day. Okay, let's just stop there. What impression did that leave on that seller about your urgency, your organization, and the rest of it? But let's say they didn't give that answer. I called them back right away. All right, so let's keep drilling down. Where, did, you send, did you change anything in your pre-listing pack? No. Well, no. The first question would be, did you pre-qualify the seller? Did you, know this, you know, you, did you go through all the questions? Did you ask the seller what their motivation was? Did you get out of the seller if you're, interv if you're competing for the listing? Did you find out from the seller what their time frame is? Did you find out from the seller, uh, frankly, what they might think the house is worth? These are all part of the things we coach you how to do in our organization. This is, by the way, all in a script. And all you've got to do is read the questions. There's a conversation outline. And you go through and you find out all these things. You, if you, as Julie's, uh, by the way, Julie's, thank you uh, for being patient. I, Sorry for not welcoming you to the call. My fault. Okay. I got on a, ram a ramble. Okay. I'm here. Yeah. So, so guys, when you're when you're doing a, when, you know, you're going through the pre-qualify scripts. So, so what you're hearing me describe is a drilled down system that we created that you can just follow, opposed to trying to create your own. And as soon as you start following a system that's proven to work, you will get the results that other people get. 
The more time you waste trying to look for shortcuts and hacks and you're going to do it your way, you're not professional. You're not in the business to help people and make money. You're in the business for some other reason that, frankly, doesn't make you a great coaching candidate because you're, you're, you're not drilled down on what matters. You're a business owner, and here you are thinking you're going to spend all your time designing a pretty website. But you don't realize that websites don't get you leads. But that's what you just what you want to do because you think that's what you're supposed to do. If you're really serious about you know, accomplishing goals, the main thing is, is not just to you know, essentially write the goal down. You have to create the action plan. And again, let's say, for example, going back to my example of the listing presentation, we're going to drill down even more with you if you're the example I gave you. And we're going to find out that, okay, you didn't follow the listing presentation process. You're not touring the house anymore. Maybe you didn't send the pre-listing pack out ahead of time. Maybe, as you know, Julie says, you went without knowing. Don't, don't go if you don't know. It, the answers to all the questions is one of our sayings. You, so something changed. Chances are something changed in your process. You know, you didn't actually – you're the one. You, agent, are the reason that you, agent, are not succeeding at the level in which you can because you're not following the process. You – so when you walk into our coaching organization and we teach you how to lead generate without buying leads, we teach you how to go on listing presentations and take them 90% of the time. We teach you how to get price reductions. We teach you how to make a profit that is frankly not even heard of in this business anymore. You just follow the micro steps that are part of the coaching or our coaching program, and then you're going to get the same results. You guys get it? So you walk, you do business with Julie and I, you decide to become a premier coaching client or a premier plus coaching client or an elite coaching client. You're walking into a mature business model that you can just copy. It's a drilled down exact step-by-step -step plan. Isn't that what all of you want? Of course it is. But when you go back to set your own goals, you write down lose 20 pounds, but you don't have a drilled down specific plan. You guys get it? That's where you fall short. A, you don't write the goal down, but B, you don't know how to actually make a drill down plan. When you uh, download the treasure map, and by the way, we're going to give you seven free books as well, just text the word Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S, to 31996, and you're going to obviously get the downloads. So we'll text you back a link right away, then you download the, the, uh, the books. Then you're going to get a call from someone from our uh, staff, and then you're going to get an appointment with a new member coach, and then you're going to have that new member coach walk you through your 12-month business plan, and then you're going to learn more about our coaching program. That's the natural progression from podcast listener to someone who's going to become a successful agent. So seriously consider that, especially this time of year. Guys, you've got the whole year in front of you, but do not make the mistake that most people do and procrastinate. Oh, I'll get my act together in a few months. That's what everyone else does, and by that time, all the part-time agents are going to be back in the market, not to mention all the new agents that are just getting their licenses. And the market is going to be so noisy and the consumer so – and then you have all the tech companies and all the instant offer companies. No, you've got to drill down now and don't waste another moment getting ready to get started. So treasure map questions. I just kind of – I'm kind of going through these in my mind. What Julie and I have prepared to talk to you guys about today is the fact that a lot of you guys have issues with money. And you have issues with money that are so deeply rooted that they actually keep you broke, and you don't know it. So, Julie, can you give them an example? And I know you wrote a bunch of notes for this particular topic, and like normal, I'm not really <laughs> mm -hmm. sticking to it. But can you give them an example of like how they would know if they have – and you can – Julie, if you want to, you can use us, right? I don't mind being – we can be mm -hmm. sacrificial lambs here. How had our shitty software about uh, money limited – it basically caused us to basically not as excel as, fa as sell as fast as we could have otherwise. 
had we decoded what we later in life learned about money? Can you give maybe some examples? Well, sure. I'll start from the beginning of our real estate career where, you know, we worked our butts off. We did a lot of the things that we coach them to do now, and we had a really kick-ass first year. We made a ton of money, and we just thought that that's how it was going to be, and you'd figure out how to pay your taxes because we did it the first year. And then the second year, we made even more money, and we never really thought about it. We thought, well, you know, and I think a lot of people listening think this too, you'll, you know, you'll luck out, you'll double dip some big property, and you'll stay on time. Everything will be fine. But the more money you make, the bigger you owe in taxes and things like that. And you start to have what we call lifestyle creep. So you, the more you make, the more you spend. And you just think, you know, everything's going to truck along fine. And you, you don't actually manage your income because, it's, you know, we were having a lot of fun then too, <laughs> okay? And then one day, everything is like, what do you mean I owe that much? What do you mean we're making this much and we don't have that much savings? So I think in the beginning, when nobody's counseling you, that, hey, you know, like what we see in the treasure map, at least 10% off of every check to your savings account. And how many of you guys listening commingle your savings with your what's supposed to be going to taxes? And you call it your savings because you're saving for taxes, but really these need to be two separate things because the tax money doesn't belong to you. It's not savings. Not for you, okay? So how many of you guys commingle? Or even worse than that, you only have one account, that's your operations account, your tax account, and whatever's left over at the end of the month, that's your savings. And you're running on luck because somehow it all gets paid. That's not sustainable. Well, So I would say that's well, the number so Julie, one mistake that I see is just not being conscious of it. Go ahead. Well, I'll, you know, let's, let's get some background color on this, okay? No one ever taught sure. us how to save money. I know it sounds crazy, right? No, and but our first year in business, Julie and I sold over 100 houses. We broke, broke all national records, 103 closings and with pendings. And I don't think anyone's ever sold that many in their first year again. And we are in our early 20s. You guys know that story. But here's the moral of the story. We did it. At, we had, I came from I would call it lower middle class, occasionally poor roots, and Julie was middle class. But we certainly weren't raised knowing how to manage the amount of money we had earned, <laughs> right? And the following year and the following year and the following yeah. year, we earned more and more and more, as Julie said. We sold real estate for about 10 years, always selling between 100 and 200 houses. But here's where my point of all this is. Nobody tells you how to manage your money. Julie and I thought, well, the accountant would tell us how to manage our money. Nope. We thought, well, you know, we heard, oh, rich people, they have all these loopholes. They're not, you know, we won't pay any taxes. Nope. That's absolutely a lie. That is a liberal propaganda. Yeah. And I'll give you a great example. Greenwich, Connecticut, right? Greenwich, Connecticut, where we have a wonderful, one of my favorite coaching clients of all time, a guy named Rob Johnson, number one agent in Greenwich, number one agent in New York City with his brand, sold $137 million last year, just an absolute gentleman of a guy. So he, he in Greenwich, in all of Connecticut, Greenwich it, it pays, this little tiny hamlet of Greenwich pays basically all the taxes in the state. And he sent me a image of a graph that shows uh, Connecticut. And it was basically that Greenwich is this little red spot and it shows what percent of the taxes that are being paid by people in Greenwich versus the rest of uh, Connecticut. And it wasn't even funny. It was so it was so gross, honestly, so misbalanced. So the idea that you're not going to pay taxes because there's all these fancy loopholes is liberal propaganda. Do not believe it. The opposite is exactly true. Um, so when Julie and I are in our third or fourth year in business, 
we'd started buying rental properties because that's what people told us to do. So we just, you know, we listened to people that there was a kid. We had some great, you know, our broker always bought rental properties. There was a lady named Pat Kearns Davis that sold real estate in Clintonville, Ohio. She always bought rental properties. And Julie and I got in this business not wanting to sell real estate forever. We wanted to be rich. Where your money works for you, you no longer work for your money. And when we were coming up, the only way to accomplish that goal, unless you, you know, that was it basically, is buying rental properties. There was that was the formula. Those of you who remember Carlton Sheets, yes, I bought Carlton Sheets program when we were, <laughs> uh, when we yep. were in college. I remember right? that. You know, all those tapes show up. Yeah, but so so that's it. And real estate is going to be, you know, for us, for normal people, it's always going to be a vehicle to create wealth. Well, I mean, this is before some of the things that we talk about now, like EXP and whatnot. And if you guys want to learn more about EXP, all you've got to do is text the word EXP to 31996. Just text EXP to 31996. Some of the opportunities to build wealth inside that company are like nothing I've ever seen before. And had we known about EXP when Julie and I were in our formidable years, I'm not so sure we would even bought any rental properties. There's a little bitter truth, but it's true. By the way, if you're ready to join EXP and you want to talk with me direct about it, and I, this, this is literally an opportunity for you to text me direct, and you and I will have a one-on-one call if you're ready to join EXP, text me at 512-758-0206. But we bought rental properties, and you know we were on that path. We d- definitely done a little bit of investing. We bought some Apple stock way back when, which we still have. And but we were ignoramuses in the truest sense. Now we read books, we talked to as many people that would give us the time of day. But really, for the most part, because we didn't have any of these familial social connections to wealthy people, we were we were just basically cast to the wind, you know. And we didn't make too many bad mistakes because we were inherently conservative. But here's what happens with conservative with our money. As time progressed, it was like two or three years, maybe three years. We met a guy uh, at a Howard Britton event, and he was a, a bona fide billionaire. His wife was the agent. That was the tie into the Howard Britton thing. But this guy was an actual, you know, one of the wealthiest, well, probably the wealthiest. Uh, I'd met Les Wexner before. I guess he was a billionaire. But some other people, you know, we'd known a lot of, you know, people that were well off, but nothing like this guy. I mean, this guy was, you know, a different level. He owned part of the Florida Marlins. The guy owned, like, Walnut Tree Forest in Canada. He owned part of the uh, natural gas pipeline coming out of Canada. He owned just billions of acres of farmland in the Midwest, just all kinds of different holdings. Um, he informally, and it wasn't anything, you know, informal is the right word, mentored Julie and I about money. I remember having this conversation with him uh, early, again, as we were probably in our mid-20s at this point, and I remember asking him, how did you, he came from Indiana, he was a, a poor farm boy, basically, as he described himself, uh, so no golden spoons going his way, and I asked him, how did you accumulate, like, what, what did you do? And um, I was humble enough, and my ego, you know, I, I was out, no problem asking that question. I, I was willing to expose myself to being the financial stupid idiot that I was. And he, to, he told me something, which is so obvious but so awesome. He said, what my wife and I always did is what Julie just said, is we always peeled off. Well, when we first got married, we'd peel off 10% off the top of every dollar we earn. And that 10% would go into a, an investment account, a savings account. It wouldn't go into operations or tax. They would pay themselves first every single month off every single dime. And I thought, well, Julie and I can do that. And we did. And we actually have that as part of our real estate treasure map, an exact drilled down system an action plan had actually physically saved 10%. You think it's easy, but it's not. You get a commission check. You put it into an account. 
And if it's, you know, are you actually having a discipline to transfer the 10% out? Well, we didn't. So what Julie did is she'd take this commission check to the bank, and then she'd write a check immediately against that, uh, that commission check to go to a savings account. That gave her the discipline and a system that she followed. And by the way, we did that for, you know, I, we still do it really, but now we do it digitally. So then when he told me, as he said, after we had, and you know, he's a very conservative guy, came up from in a different era, but still made total sense. After he said that he and his wife became debt-free, had all their houses and whatnot paid off, he said they had a really, really low personal overhead, sounding familiar to a lot of the financial philosophies that you hear from Dave Ramsey and Julie and I always say similar things. And so then what we said, then what he said is then we started buying farmland and then we started buying other assets and then other assets came our way because people knew that, 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 and then he kept on investing. But one of the key things that he did, uh, and he said, he, he said he never changed. Now here's where it gets confusing. He did not live frugally necessarily. He didn't skimp on the luxuries of life. That's not what we're suggesting. We're not suggesting you become one of those, you know, yeah, Bob Smith, a you know, career postal worker, dies at 86 and scrolled away his mattress. They, you know, the, his heirs discovered $14 million. You know, and it, when they move aside the, all the roaches and you know, the, all the ways that Bob was living like some, you know, a bomb, basically, in order to save money. We're not suggesting that. that this gentleman I'm referring to, is, he's passed away, so I'm not going to use his name. But he, has, uh, you know, he, he and his wife had a very nice lifestyle. So they did not live under a bridge is what I'm trying to explain to you, which goes against the ways that most of you think about money. This is the reason we're telling you this story because a lot of you think, and you do, have to be, uh, you do have to be conscientious of how you're spending money, but we're not asking you not to enjoy the money that you earn. There's a difference. So, Julie, there's, you actually had a great, um, some quotes on this when you were researching this. It was further down in your notes. Can you read a little bit about that? Well, you mean uh, checking your mindset about money and things that people yes. think or that they hear? Okay, so and you know, honestly, I bet a lot of us heard this from our parents. Some of you guys hear it from your office managers. You know, um, things like you're flushing money down the toilet if you fill in the blank, drink a latte, go to Starbucks, uh, buy a first-class ticket, buy a new car versus a used one. That philosophy of you're just throwing your money away. Uh, people will say you should never buy a boat or a sports car. People sometimes say don't, you know, don't spend money on spending sending your kids to college. People will say why would you buy a new car when you can get by on a used car? Why, you know, your car's only got 80,000 miles on it. Why don't you just drive it into the ground? All of these types of things. So that those thoughts, those phrases really highlight the fundamental misunderstanding about the difference between spending versus spending beyond your means. Spending, taking care of yourself, doing things that you enjoy and that you love for yourself and your family is not inherently bad, evil, or wrong, okay? The difference is spending beyond your means. So how you acquire goods and services you need, things that you want because you get enjoyment from them, versus a simple error in judgment, what we sometimes call lifestyle creep. Right. So thinking that that's going to go on forever and that, you know, you've got enough savings and, and just really being kind of unconscious about your own financial future. And I'm going to leave it there with you, Tim, so I can get ready for premiere. But I think this is a really important topic. And I'm going to continue this into a discussion next week about how to actually figure out what you need in retirement. But I think today's drill down is getting clear 
that you've really got to, to be conscious about your own financial future, know what your expenses are, know what's important to you, and erase some of these thoughts that, you know, you, the only way to get wealthy is to be super frugal and, you know, clip coupons and drive a 200,000-mile car and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So I'll leave it with you so I can go get ready for them. You know, as Julian was talking, I was thinking about there's this myth about Warren Buffett, which is hilarious, that he somehow doesn't have this wonderful lifestyle and the rest of it. But let me tell you guys some backstory from what we know about Mr. Buffett. You know, obviously a, an icon in American history for sure. Well, so he, the story that you see that circulates occasionally when they're trying to about, talk about frugality is they'll say he drives this, you know, some old Lincoln or something that's got a billion miles on it or whatever. All right, he might own that car, and it might be sitting in a garage someplace in Omaha. But here's the thing that you don't know. The guy is obviously a billionaire. You really think he's not spending his money on luxuries of life? He had uh, – Julie and I had a rental, two rental properties in Laguna Beach, California a long time ago. He had rental – he had two homes, primary homes. Well, they weren't primary probably, but he owned these two essentially ocean near uh, – in this place called Emerald Bay. He had two properties there. He had not one, but something like three – has like three private jets. He has properties sprinkled all over the world, Right. Do you really think the guy is sitting at home in some, you know, oak laminated desk driving a dusty debt filled Lincoln, you know, as he, you know, wobbles off to Dairy Queen to get his Coke every day? I mean, right? You really believe that? That's just marketing hype. Moral of the story is, is that if you are stuck with having to balance out enjoying life, but at the same time wanting to build wealth, Okay, that's a normal occurrence that happens because you've been given bad information. And what Julie just said is, is equally as true, obviously, is you have to have – if you can save, for example. Remember what she just said. There's a difference between spending what you can afford and basically going up, you know, in front of your skis with your spending. So if you can afford – if you're saving your 10%, if you're paying your bills, if you know, you're meeting your financial obligations – and again, this, all this is walked through on the real estate treasure map. Just text the word Harris to 31996. If you're doing all of those things and you want to buy a damn boat, buy your damn boat. You only live once and you're dead a real long time. Now, I'm going to touch this on this from a, a slightly different perspective, and this is the spiritual perspective. Oh, Tim, it's getting really weird. <laughs> well, it's because Julie and I are coaches, and we've had to figure out different ways to help people move past some of this bad information they have about money. So I'm going to use something I learned from Deepak Chopra. It's a really quick quote, so it won't take long. As you, those of you guys are in the spiritual realm, you know who Deepak is, right? So he said that we are spiritual beings in a physical incarnation – and this is, you know, essentially what I'm there for. He had a lot, it was very breathy, but this is the gist of it. And as because you're a physical, a spiritual being in a physical incarnation, and you're in a physical world, you need shoes, you need clothes, you need a car, you need a house, you need food, you need all these nice things and all these things in life to exist on this planet, to live on this planet. <laughs> Nevermore is that true. That if you've lived through the series of earthquakes in Puerto Rico that Julie and I just did, and you see how people react when they start losing those little comfort items in life. But I digress again. What I'm trying to share with you here is Deepak Chopra said, buy stuff. And then he essentially said, buy, if you're going to buy shoes, they might as well be nice shoes. If you're going to live in a house, it might as well be a nice house. If you're going to drive a car, it might as well be a car that really makes you happy. Why not? Again, 
If you've got the financial discipline and you're meeting your financial obligations and you're not getting into ridiculous debt on depreciating items and you want to have some fun and buy a first-class ticket to go to Italy with your, you know, your loved one for some special anniversary, why would, you, why would you think twice about that? That's the whole point of earning money. That's the whole point of working hard. And now here's, here's what happens as a result of that. When you start allowing yourself to enjoy the luxuries and the benefits of having worked as hard as many of you are starting to or have for a long time, you don't become less productive and earn less. You actually earn more because now the work has a slightly different uh, feel to it because you're appreciating and enjoying the work more. So I have coaching clients who I've had for years, and a lot of these you know, men and women have become very wealthy to the point where they no longer have to work. And so what we have to do is we have to create reasons for them to actually stay drilled down and work. And one of the things that's really fun, you know, you have somebody that's essentially a multimillionaire, has enough savings that, you know, they don't have to worry about any of the big boxes and big rocks in life. Retirement's done. Kids 529s are done. Health saving plans are done. They've got passive income coming in from maybe two or three different sources. So financially, they have done the work necessary um, to essentially be rich, where the money works for them and they no longer work for their money. Well, they might come to a coaching call and they might lose a little bit of the edge because one of the things that I found to be a common element of what it takes to be successful at anything in life is if you have a little bit of a or a big chip on your shoulder about having been poor or a fear of being broke. And when you have those two things, they'll keep you motivated, right? Because it keeps you forced down. You can always pull on that fear of being broke to force you to do the things you don't want to do and you don't want to do them at the highest level. That's just the nature of how most people, that's the games, gamesmanship that people play with themselves. And when you get to the point where you actually are rich, where you don't have to operate on that level anymore, you can still use that trigger in order to get you to do what you don't want to do and you don't want to do at the highest level. But maybe you choose not to. Maybe you don't want that stress anymore. So then we get to start having some fun. And I have a coaching client right now that uh, goes to Italy every year for August, usually August, September. Um, you know, she and her husband, she's the person I coach. She and her husband basically uh, travel around. This Italy is where they did the whole thing. Okay, so they have this. This is the thing that ultimately is the greatest motivator for her. But they always rent. They always VRBO or they stay at some nice hotel or the whole thing. They do it right. So I suggested to her, because her favorite place is Lake Como, I suggested to her, you know, Julie and I have been to Lake Como, and I, you know, it is gorgeous. I said, well, why don't you buy a property in Lake Como? Buy a property that's, you know, five doors down from George Clooney, <laughs> right? Or at least get started on exploring the cost and how you purchase real estate in Italy and all of this. And I'd already done the homework on that because, you know, that's something that Julie and I thought about. And so I did some homework and told them, told her what I knew. It's, you know, there's a lot of bureaucracy. It's Italy, you know, and, but this is, this is what real estate costs. And this is how you transact in Italy. And this is how now she's motivated again, (laughs) because now she wants to buy a house on Lake Como, not in Lake Como, you know, the Hamlet, but on Lake Como it's going to cost probably three to five million dollars. Not a big place. Um, it's going to have a little boat dock. It's going to have a view of the, you know, this. It's going to be perfect. And that's what I'm using to motivate her. And that's awesome because she is doing this now just for the sheer bliss of basically seeing the direct benefit of the work that she's doing. Now, some of you are going to be like, oh, Tim, she should be donating her money. No, she shouldn't. She shouldn't have to donate her money because she's working. Guys, look. There's a lot of confusion out there about the obligations that rich people have to give away their money, 
Rich people have no obligation to give away their money, none. Rich people have the obligation to enjoy the benefits of the wealth that they've created. And if they get pleasure out of donating money, out of their choice, not as some social do-goodery, then that's what they should do. And that's what, by the way, what rich people do do. Rich people are the, by definition of rich, it's essentially multimillionaires. They're the contributors to the charities. They're the contributors to that is really what the heart of all this is all about, is what are the psychological mooring lines that are holding you to the dock that if you decide to cut those free, and we're going to be talking more about those in the next couple podcasts as Julia and I talked about, what would you liberate within yourself? What would you allow yourself to do and experience? When you start thinking about just the word rich, what does that mean to you? What is, what's the imagery that you have? What, what do you see in your head? What do you feel when you say the word rich? Some of you, and if you're being honest, it's most of you, and I know this because this is actually when I was finally honest with myself about this. I found this within myself, this kind of insidious, evil perception of rich people. I had that. I carried that burden around until I was in my, probably honestly, until I was in my early 30s. Uh, you know, you have all these Bible scripture things that you're beaten over the head with about rich people, depending on, you know, I was raised as a Presbyterian, but just depending on, you know, which side of the, you know, the pew you sat on at church, never was it about building wealth, right? It was always about giving it away, rich people are evil, or some version of that. And that's really, without me knowing it, that was how I was indoctrinated into thinking about wealth, which is amazing to think about now, considering what Julie and I have done with our lives. I had to, A, acknowledge the fact that I had some misperceptions about money, and I was raised, my parents did not have any money. So obviously that came from them because they never pursued money. They never pursued ind financial independence. You know, they were always basically a couple you know, bad months away from being homeless, more or less. That was how I was raised. So that actually helps to motivate me too, by the way. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing, and I'm sharing that with you. Ultimately here is I had to do the work on myself to pull out all the negative, nasty software that has been implanted in my brain by people who love me but, not, but was not serving me anymore. You have the same issues. I promise you you do, no matter at what end of the spectrum you are. Let's go back to the example that Lady Coaching Kleiner is telling you about. Rich, set up, living in this country club lifestyle, you know, always drove a new whatever, the whole thing, right? But she, even at her level, okay, still had some misperceptions about enjoying the wealth that she'd created. She was overly worried about essentially her attachments to family and friends and what would they think if she bought a house in Lake Como. What would, what would happen to those types of thoughts? And those are the, again, that can happen to us, all of us at any level. Like if you are, you know, if you come from poor uh, uh, beginnings, right, which most of you do, and you are in a situation where you're starting to earn more money, and Julie and I experience this in our own lives, and you're starting to become more successful, I'm just going to cut through the bullshit for you. The people around you, including your family members, are going to reject you. They're going to not understand what you're doing or why you're doing it. They're going to say little nice, quote-unquote, helpful things that are, you know, they're saying without actually consciously thinking about it. At least that's what I tell myself. You got to stop and smell the roses. You're working too hard. Or money, money's the root of all evil. Or, I mean, come on now. There's lists and lists of things that people say to themselves or people hear it from, you know, their well-intended friends, family, and whatnot about money. That's all bullshit. And, but that's what happens. And so when you start becoming successful, you will get pushback from those types of people, and it won't go away right away. It'll 
eventually go away because then what will happen is they'll see that you have elevated yourself in life. And for the people that have that spark in, within them, within themselves, which is probably about 10%, they will elevate themselves and, and, and you will essentially have been the lead dog in the, you know, the pursuit of something greater in life. But some of you are fearful of actually admitting that you want more in life than what everyone around you has because you are fearful of being rejected by your tribe. And you're right. You will be rejected by your tribe. I'm not going to lie to you. you that will happen. It'll happen. It, it'll happen in some cases in overt, rude ways, but mostly it'll happen in little subtle ways, little jabs. You know, maybe you're not getting invited. You know, I, there was a great uh, – we had an email a while ago. I was talking about the same topic, you know, maybe it was two years ago. And um, a lady was talking about having – here it is again – losing weight. And she said she used to have this group of girls that she'd go out and have Chardonnay with every Friday. They had some really funny name for their group. But she, guess what, went to Orange Theory, got in shape, lost a ton of weight, and those girls stopped inviting her. They rejected her because she was no longer pleasantly plump and didn't fit into their little – and she was making them feel uncomfortable, not because she was saying, hey, you know, Betty, you got to lose some weight, but because she had then elevated herself and made – and they didn't want to – they don't want to be introspective. That's how most people are. Like 90% of all humans, that's how they exist and how they'll always exist. Are you one of those people? Are you one of the 10%? Which, where are you? Here's how you only know. The only way you can know the answer is by your actions, not by what you say. What are you actually doing? Not what you're saying you're going to do. What are you actually doing with your life? What are you actually doing listening to these podcasts? Are you just listening to Julie and I and we're getting, you know, hopefully motivating you, educating you, and hopefully you're taking some action as a result? Or are you actually saying, you know what, I'm going to drill down. I'm going to, you know, I'm definitely going to download that business plan. I'm going to finish that SOB business plan. I'm going to take the free coaching call. I'm probably going to join the coaching program. You know, are you an action taker or are you just a blah, blah, blah? It's a hard, if that answer is really when you admit the fact that you're probably mostly a blah, blah, blah. When you admit that and then you internalize that, in other words, you don't look for an external reason why you're that way. You're not blaming somebody, your situation. You're not, you're not, you are taking 100% responsibility for your lack of action and your laziness. Brutal with yourself. Stop being nice to yourself. Be brutal with yourself. That's what a great coach does. A great coach is not going to worry about your feelings, not going to worry about any of those other types of things. Not even going to worry about you know, when I have a coaching client, especially one that's you know, working with me directly, they know what they're getting. And I will sometimes ask if I can be direct with them. And I'll say, hey, you know, you know, Bob, do you mind if I be direct with you, even if what I'm about to say might offend you? And you know, my coaching clients will always laugh and say, Tim, why are you even asking? That's what I expect from you. And then I'm going to tell them something, knowing that probably the manner in which I'm saying it is going to offend them. And I do that intentionally because I need to cut through their bullshit as fast as possible so they stop making that stupid mistake. And I might do that because I see them, you know, just doing making bad mistakes financially, physically. You know, maybe they're making, you know, someone, they're having a little bit too much to drink, or maybe they're gaining some weight. Hey, Bob, you weighed, you know, according to my notes, you weighed 175 last year, and you just told me you weighed 190. What's going on there? You know, or I saw a picture of you on Facebook, and the last time I saw you, you didn't look like that. What's going on, right? That's what a real coach does. Do you want that level of accountability? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. It starts with finishing the real estate treasure map. It starts with texting Lord Harris to 31996. It starts with this, finally, guys, honestly, taking full responsibility to your present situation and circumstances on this planet Earth. It's up to you. Nobody did anything to you. Look, I could 
you know, piss and moan about my upbringing just as much as all of you could. My lack of this and my, you know, this or the other thing or whatever. All these labels love to, people love to put on themselves and no, not going to do it. My present situation at 50 this year, by the way, is how old I'm going to be in March. My present situation, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the indifferent, it's all because of me. Look, I didn't cause that earthquake that happened two weeks ago in Puerto Rico. You know, I didn't cause it, but I did cause the suffering, the undue suffering that happened as a result for our family because Julie and I hadn't been quick enough to actually buy a, a generator. So that was my fault, right? So I'm, t- I'm not going to blame the hardship we experienced on uh, the earthquake. I'm blaming it on myself, right? You guys get it? I'm not going to blame, um, you know, whatever on anything external. If you internalize, if you say it's all, it, whatever, if it's up to be, up to me, it's, I'm sorry, if it's meant to be, it's up to me. That's something that all of you guys should actually, you know, think about. And if you're going to actually do things, these are all Julie's things, by the way, which I really like. You know, another thing that Julie says to herself is, and I hear her mumbling this sometimes under her breath, which is kind of funny because she doesn't even know she's doing it. She says, I'm a doer, I get things done. I'm a doer, I get things done. I'm a doer, I get things done. Because she is naturally a procrastinator. So she basically has created this little saying, I'm a doer, I get things done. And she does get things done, right? These are the hacks that you have to make and do it consistently if you guys want to get the most out of this life, which is a wonderful gift, right? It is. You know, being on, being on planet Earth in 2020, no matter where you live in this country, you know, a lot of you guys are international. It's a gift. Being in real estate is a gift. Being a business owner is a gift if you make the most of it. If you actually just stop screwing around on all the feel-good, time-wasting garbage that some of you guys are so addicted to. And actually step up, take full responsibility for your life, and move forward with fury. And I know it's funny I said stop being so nice to yourself. Stop, being, stop surrounding yourself with people that are going to cushion the blow of life. You don't need that. You need to be brutal on yourself because you've been too nice to yourself for too long. That's the reason your situation is not better because you've given yourself too many, as I like to say, hall passes on life. You know, a hall pass, for example, would be, you know what? Uh, I know I need to make those 10 contacts, but I'll just do it tomorrow. I'm going to give myself a break. Stop giving yourself breaks. The negative momentum that you build from all those little hall passes, all those little breaks, all those little shortcuts, you can't get that time back. It's gone forever. You've lost those, you know, moments, those days, those weeks, those months, those years, those decades. They're gone. You've got to fight back, guys got to make this you got to take this seriously make 2020 your best year ever don't just make that some bullshit thing that you heard make it something you're actually going to do complete the real estate treasure map ask for help ask for help and know that when you ask us for help we're not just going to make you feel good we're going to make you get to work you've got you're surrounded by people that are making you feel good that's all over the internet you know that's not us you've got enough of that that's this little, you know, temporary caffeine hit of motivation that some of you guys look for from motivational speakers. Stop doing that. The motivation that you're looking for life comes from doing what you don't want to do and you don't want to do it at the highest level. Comes from the feeling of satisfaction that you get from, frankly, earning money, let alone a lot of money, but also knowing that you're earning that money because you are of service to other people. The combination of those thoughts, that's what you guys need to seriously consider making your own personal software Build your new software system based on those thoughts because, guys, it's the truth. 
the rest of it's mostly people just trying to sell you stuff you don't need. And you know that right now because you probably got a, a bookshelf of self-help, motivation, social networking, shortcut Mickey Mouse stuff sitting right there staring back at you as you listen to this podcast, don't you? Or look at the other podcasts you guys listen to. How many of the other podcasts you guys listen to are like this versus the feel good, you know, that kind of Mickey Mouse? This is what you need to be doing on Instagram. How many of you guys are absolutely positively believing that that shit actually works for the sake of building, uh, making money and building business, right? Scary, isn't it? So listen, guys, if you need me for anything, especially if you want to talk directly with me about joining EXP Realty, which, you know, is frankly, in all of our decades in this business, in this industry, EXP Realty is without a doubt the best business model for agents to be part of, agents and brokers, no matter how big or experienced or just does not matter, new agents, top producing agents, we've never seen anything like it. And I want to talk with you about it. So if you're ready to join EXP Realty, I want you to text me directly at 512-758-0206. In the meantime, you guys have a fantastic day, and we'll talk with you on the show tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.